Welcome to Pouring Over Pages, a podcast of words and wine. I'm Alexa. And I'm Maritza. Let's get lit on literature. (laughs) Thank you guys so, so much for being here for our second podcast episode. Number two in the books. Number two in the books. No pun intended. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Um, But yes, last week or a couple weeks ago, uh, we finished Untamed by Glennon Doyle and had some great conversation and comments around that. So thank you everyone for your feedback. We really appreciate it and are so excited to, to go on this journey with you with our next book. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we, we learned some lessons from episode one. Um, I learned that I should probably tell everyone which book we're talking about in the first couple minutes. That's true. And I learned that I say 100% a lot. So I'm going to try to stop that this time. You're very (laughs) agreeable. Super. Almost too agreeable. agreeable, But live and learn. Live and learn. Live and learn. All right. Great. So so let's just start off by, you know, mentioning the book and, and, and really why we chose it. So this is Beach Read by Emily Henry. Um, this is a book that, um, I reread for the purposes of today and, um, and Alexa, you read it and then also re reread slash re skimmed, um, for the purposes of today. And this is a book that we felt really spoke to something that means a lot to me, um, which is just this idea of romance novels having a very particular, um, type of reputation. Um, this is a book about the writing process. This is a book about two, um, two people who are living in a made up town in Michigan, North Bear Shores. Um, one is a romance writer. One is a literary fiction writer and they are living next door to each other. They get to know each other. It turns out that they had already met right back in college. They have a history. They have a history together and they're both there in their separate beach houses, um, trying to write their next book. And they challenge each other because the stereotype is, you know, the guy who writes literary fiction thinks that writing happily ever afters is easy. And the woman who writes the happily ever afters thinks that literary fiction is, is, is bleak. Right. So, so they compete, right? So the book is really, as I said, about the writing process, we're going to dive into it, but I wanted to just give everyone a sort of brief summary in case you haven't read the book. And of course, the, you know, what we really want to accomplish here is that if you have read the book, that you relate to this conversation. And if you haven't, that you go and pick it up, um, obviously, at an independent bookstore, mm-hmm. um, only ever at an independent bookstore. Shop we, small. Shop small. We are always happy to give you a list of places that you can shop at, even if it's not here in Miami. Um, we will find them for you yep, all across we'll the country. <laughs> we'll do the work. We'll do the work because we believe so strongly in um, independent bookstores being, you know, community spaces and places that um, really, you know, allow for people to be who they are and express themselves. And so anyway, that's a whole, that's a whole other topic of conversation. (laughs) Um, But before we dive into some of these really interesting discussion topics and dive into what this book really sort of brought out in both of us um, and and in reading it and what we both, you know, gathered from it. Um, I'm going to pass it back to Alexa so she can talk about the wine because some of you will be sipping with us this evening, yes. right? I um I received a lot of inquiries about what the wine will be. And then, and then I thought to myself, well, first off, I thought I was just going to go through my my wine cellar and just pick something. But then I'm like, no, the readers want to want to drink with us. So um, I thought that I needed to pick something accessible and inexpensive and I picked we're, we're gonna have a correction on this I'm sure with Maritza <laughs> and her her four languages here but <laughs> so I picked 
uh, La Via Ferme, which I... Real guttural there. Ferme. <laughs> I try. <laughs> My French friends are going to be like, what's going on here? So this is La Vie Ferme, or the old farm, or farmhouse, depending on... Uh, the who, translation, exactly. yeah, who you ask, I suppose. <laughs> um, I call this chicken wine because <laughs> there are two hens on the label. It is very unassuming and it comes from France. And I will go further into detail with that later on and, and as to why I chose it, how I feel it relates to this book and why you should be sipping on it. So we already poured some for ourselves. So if you're drinking with us tonight or this afternoon or whenever 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 we don't judge what time no we're at all in 2020 2021 we don't judge anything we don't judge so um cheers and let's get it started fantastic this is this is oh. a this is a good wine it is and it's such good um quality price ratio um i'm really glad that i thought of this for this book because i think it's a very um not a pretentious wine but still a well-made wine um, that really pairs beautifully with uh, this beach read, but also beach reads in general. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's I think, a, a wine that if you bring it to someone's house mm -hmm. or for a book club or whatever, um, you know, you can't really you can't really go wrong. It's really refreshing. No, no one will be offended by this wine. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Um, so, all right, so beach read. Um well, this is this is a book. I think I got this book for you, right? Like yes. back in, back in still sort of quarantine. Yeah. Right. Yes, I think it was quarantine because I remember sipping by the pool at my mother in law's house with it as I escaped Miami. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what like what really sort of interested me in in this conversation or this particular topic of conversation is that when we were in the midst of this whole pandemic and sitting at home and not seeing each other. Um, full disclosure, I did see Alexa. We saw each other as part. We, we were part of our of our each other's yes, pod. Yes, the the bubbles, the pot pod, whatever pod. Yes, we were a pod. Um, we didn't see each other for a few months, and then when things sort of opened up a little bit, you were really the first person I saw, and the only person I continued, um, you know, to to see pretty regularly. So, so you said to me, you were like, "Hey, I kind of, you know, I want to read something like out by the pool. You know, I've just been sort of chilling." Um, would you recommend something fun, mm -hmm. something nice, something, you know, that will up uplift my spirits right. because we all needed that. Yes, <laughs> we really did. And, and, and that's the thing is that like that moment, I mean, we touched on this a little bit in episode one, right? How Glennon's book sort of taught us to sit still and taught us to reflect in moments like that about who we are, what we need, what we want, um, who should be part of our island etc mm -hmm. but but i think beach read what it did was also prove to us how um how important entertainment poetry art language etc is in times like these when we're so not connected to each other physically we relate so much on art to mm -hmm. get us through and so you asking for you know an uplifting fun book you know, it just goes to show that these things really impact us. They, they, they change our perspective. They let us um, experience something else in the midst of chaos, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. What, that's what it really was. And so, you know, that's what really inspired this conversation is that romance novels do tend to have this reputation of being sort of cheesy, mm -hmm. um, a Fabio-type looking dude. Long hair, blonde 
muscled, chiseled. On and, the cover. Yeah, tawdry books in the airport. Yes, just holding kinda, some, like, really skinny chick. With her dress torn up on his leg. And Yes, yes, <laughs> and... And this is not that. No. Um, <laughs> a, a, B treat is not that. B, no. romance literature is not that. I really, I can't emphasize that enough. Like, romance novels, I think, are exactly what you, um, you knew they were inherently when you asked me to pick this book up for you. Because they're, to me, they're books not only about love, right? But they're books about um, vulnerability, Mm-hmm. Um, they're books about, very oftentimes they're books about grief. Mm-hmm. They're about heartbreak. They're about connection. They're about friendship. You know, they're about the things that, that are integral in our lives. The things that make us human. The things the, that make us feel connected yeah, to each other. The things that make life worth living, honestly. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. And so so one of the things that has always sort of upset me is when people, you know, are judgy about the fact that I'm reading like a rom-com because <laughs> nine times out of ten when I hear that from somebody, it's somebody who just doesn't read at all. And I'm like, well, first of all, let me correct shut the you fuck there. Up. Yeah, like really, like you, you, you are going to tell me that, um, A. And also the fact that, you know, it's, it's just, it's hard to then sort of argue in short how these books are impactful. So we wanted to dedicate an entire episode to this conversation because it is, um, it's something that romance writers face often. Um, there's a, an artist, uh, excuse me, an author duo named Christina Lauren, and they're very well known in the romance world. And they write really great books that are so like laugh out loud funny and i read the unhoneymooners recently and it's awesome and they did a whole thing on instagram like a whole like 15 stories or something about how they were sick and tired of hearing this about how oh romance must be easy to write oh god can you imagine if that's your career and and you're writing these amazing novels that get on bestsellers list and everyone loves but then you always have that one person it's like that must be easy it's just romance right and it's like, first of all, just like, again, like, just shut the fuck up. Right? Exactly. Like, let's just, let's, let's just put it out there as that. And also, yeah, I'm really glad that you brought up the bestseller thing because these books do make it onto bestseller list for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks on end. And when you're purchasing these books from independent bookstores, you're keeping those bookstores open. Mm-hmm. Romance novels will sometimes take up up to 50% of the top 10 New York Times bestsellers on any given week. So why are we pretending like this is some sort of guilty pleasure? Why are we pretending that this isn't good writing? Why, why are we pretending? Oh, because it's emotional, mm-hmm. right? Because it, because it talks about who we are at our core. Because it talks about who we are when we're vulnerable. All the things that we're taught not to express yeah. and again that references episode one right like that's yeah. exactly things what we that we shove about. deep down and don't show the world pretty much which is sort of the opposite of of of, of what we were taught i think from reading uh untamed and also it's it's antithetical to the way that we the way that we should be living our lives right we know that yeah um but there's a quote in in Beatreed pretty early on that struck me and this is the one that we chose to post as sort of representative of of the book um you know just to get you all interested in 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 hearing this conversation and and, and participating in it of course and it's on page 13 and it says here's the thing about writing happily ever afters 
it helps if you believe in them. Preach. <laughs> Preach. Louder for the person in the back. For that one asshole the in one the back. Asshole is like, uh, <laughs> rom-coms? I could do that. Yeah, the guy who says that he can do that and he's, you know, no. probably, I don't know, some terrible, out of here. terrible guy. But this, this quote to me really sums up a lot of like what we really wanted to emphasize. Um, first of all, I think it takes a certain level of vulnerability to be able to write a book like this, right? Mm -hmm. To be able to write a book where you're putting a little bit, a little bit of yourself in it, whether you want to admit that or not. Um, a book that the main character, so the main character is January and she is a romance writer and the guy who's living next door went to college with her. She hasn't seen him in like seven years or something. Yeah. And he's living in that, you know, uh, beach house next door. That's Gus. And he's a literary fiction author. And what gets me is that January is someone who is trying so hard to see the good in people and to see the good in the world in the midst of basically finding out that a big part of her life was a lie. Yeah, right? so much change and things that she believed in were just straight up lies to her. And so she's having this pivotal moment while trying to write this book. Right, and, and the book that she's writing turns out to be sort of cathartic for her, right? She finds out, and, and this is somewhat but not really a spoiler because you find out very early mini, in the mini book. spoiler yeah mini spoiler her she finds out that her father had been cheating on her mother and the beach house the beach house that she's in um was the beach house that he owned with that woman she calls her that woman the love the book, shack right? the love shack <laughs> um and so she's coming to terms with the fact that this happy family that she thought she had was you know to her now with this realization or with this knowledge you know now it's broken or tainted or not at all what she actually thought that it was and so what you, what you see in january i think throughout the book is her using the writing process as a way to understand not only what she is going through but to understand what gus is going through because they become close and he's writing a book at the same time. And that conversation is the thread, the sort of invisible string throughout the book. And you you become a part of, as the reader, you become a part of their writing process. Mm -hmm. You become a part of um, every sort of emotional up and down. And of course, this is written from the perspective of January. So we know her, we feel for her much more than Gus. He's a sort of mysterious character. Yeah, tall, dark, and handsome kind of writer in the corner there. But they're actually arch nemesis. They're rivals in right. college, so that adds an additional layer to to the the storyline and the tension between them. Right. I I picture him looking like Henry Cavill. Very sexy. Yeah. I don't know what I picture her as. It's this giving is, me a hard time. This is just because her name is January, but I think of like January Jones. Me too. That was just what like I a, thought, but I'm like, like is blonde, that too obvious? Pretty, yeah. Yeah. Blonde, pretty. She throws on like an old ratty shirt and she's like I'm not cute now like in the beginning of the book she's kind of a mess and but you know that she's gorgeous and just kind of vivacious and you know living life she she really in the beginning of the book talks about how she like you mentioned the perfect family the perfect life um she had a boyfriend that you know the perfect couple living through kind of rose-colored glasses and then this thing shakes up her her reality and she really gets vulnerable through it yeah, and, and, and I think it's something that, you know, again, and I'm, I'm going to emphasize this a lot, is like, that's something that a lot of people can relate to. Not that specific event, but 
the fact that every single one of us has had a moment where we realize that what we thought was golden and perfect isn't, that relationships never are, um, and that we have to come to terms with that in a healthy way. We don't, <laughs> we don't always, <laughs> but we, you know, we try. And, and something that I really appreciate about Emily Henry's writing. So Emily Henry is the author of Beach Read, right? Um, something I really appreciate is that she's, I think, sort of putting a lot of messages into these books that are about romance literature. Because January in the book is really, really making the argument that what she does is rough. And it's rough because of the fact that she has to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Because she has to believe in Happily Ever After. Because she has to be hopeful. Because she has to be inherently human to be able to write something that, you know, that isn't common, right? Like, happily ever after, so to speak, are, like, not a thing that you experience every day. And, yeah. and the book really ultimately leads to a very, I think, amazing conclusion, which is that happily ever after is basically just a whole bunch of happy for nows strung together. And it emphasizes that being present, that enjoying the moment that you are in, the person you are with, the person that you are in any given moment, that that really is the sort of happily ever after. There is no, there is no finite end. There is no ever after. There's just a whole bunch of little happy for yeah. nows. How refreshing is that? That is. I think we as, as humans put a lot of our, with society and, and us growing up are, are taught about, you know, the princesses and happily ever afters and, and waiting for this one moment at the end to kind of wrap it all up in a bow and like, yay, I'm happy now. But it's not that. It's finding happy in the everyday moments from figuring out what to cook to dinner and not getting in an argument over that to, you know, going to the beach one day and having a nice day. Just like these little moments in time throughout your life because that's kind of depressing actually when you think about it if you're living your whole life waiting for that one happily ever after and that's all you get <laughs> and we're taught that in the weirdest ways i mean like you like you and i are of a particular generation yeah. so we were watching disney movies where you know every single princess was just waiting for a prince pretty and much like, and i look back on that now and i'm like that was so unbelievably toxic. It's like, so I can't horrific. believe that this is what I was taught. Like <laughs> I mean, I loved Little Mermaid, and she was basically, what, 16? And just waiting for a prince and, like, kind of gives up her whole family and flops down on the sand. And she's like, hey, you. She gives up her voice. Her voice. She's like, I pick you. She doesn't even know the guy. She just saw him on the beach. And she just moves in in his castle and is trying to get to marry him. And, like, it's just so deranged the one that gets me is sleeping beauty that's kind of rapey it's rapey as that hell one. <laughs> you wake up some strange guys kissing you i'd be like what in the actual fuck who are you but we're taught this weird narrative this like hyper sexist narrative that is such nonsense and and so books like this for me are really refreshing in that they're real they're raw Romance doesn't have to be that, that happily ever after. It doesn't have to be that cheesy, you know, predictable ending. This book is actually, I'll be honest, not predictable. I did not see them both ending up writing what they wrote, right? Because that mm -hmm. changes throughout the course of the it book. Does. I did not see them connecting in the way that they did for the reasons that they did. I don't, I don't want to spoil too much, but I there's a lot in this book that I didn't expect to happen. And that's what made it refreshing and what i thought was extra cool 
is that Emily Henry really likes to talk about in this book the way that uh, romance is also always considered a genre specifically for women. Yes. Right? And we talked about this in episode one about Glennon Doyle's book, about how that's a book that is marketed for women and quote-unquote written for women, but that we, you and I didn't agree with that, right? No. We, we really feel that that's a book that anybody can read because of the fact that it gives you tools to become a better version of, of yourself, becoming more comfortable in this world. And so I think that romance is the same. Romance is not something that is gender-specific. It's not feminine. It's just human. Mm-hmm. It's just about who we are. It's it's hopeful. It's it's what you need, I think. If, if we were constantly focusing on the bleak and we were constantly focusing on the things that we know aren't going well, then like, who would we be as people? That'd be such a sad existence. Such a sad <laughs> existence. Like, you do need this sort of hopeful, you know, and, and look, this book is hopeful, but it's also, like, it's hard. Like, she goes through some hell. She really does, and she she bears it all there for you and goes into detail of how she's feeling with every moment, even walking into the house and seeing, like, imagining them cooking or sitting out on the porch or doing yard work. Like, she's having these really raw and rough emotions coming through and she expresses them you know thoroughly throughout the while writing the book and it's just it's very touching it's very touching and 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 one of the things that she says that january says um in the book and she's saying it to gus right so gus and her having a conversation about the difference between romance and literary fiction etc and she says to him if you swapped out all of my jessica's for john's do you know what you'd get fiction just fiction, ready and willing to be read by anyone. But somehow, by being a woman who writes about women, I've eliminated half the Earth's population for my potential readers. And you know what? I don't feel ashamed of that. I feel pissed. Powerful. That was a great moment in the book. Because it's absolutely true. You it see is. a woman author with a cover that, you know, sort of does indicate that it there's does. probably some fun in there. Yeah, probably yeah. a nice, happy book. It's fun. It's not hyper-masculine or anything. It's, right. you know. Exactly. There aren't chains all over it and spikes. <laughs> Gun gunshots. Guns. <laughs> Guns and... <laughs> Bullet holes all over it. Um, you know, you, you see this sort of happy cover and, and, and maybe the average man would pass on yeah. reading this book. Um, and I kind of feel ashamed because I... I posted about it a while ago when I read it and a fit, a fellow colleague that I know who is male an older male at that was like, Oh, I love that book. I just finished it. And my first instinct, well, and he's also cis hetero male. My first instinct was, Oh, you read that. Oh, okay. Right. That's progressive. Right. A few. And I shouldn't feel that way. Cause that's exactly what we're combating here. But <laughs> society. Yeah. But you know what? That is exactly what we were talking about with Untamed, where we can't feel guilty for the conditioning that we've received. We just have to acknowledge it. Like, you did immediately. Yeah. You were like, wait, I shouldn't be feeling I'm that. like, shut up, Alexa. You're He's... like, I shouldn't be feeling that. But that's what you were taught. That's what we yeah. were all taught. It's normal to for that to be your initial reaction, right? But but even, even us who are sitting here trying to convince all of you that romance literature <laughs> is also for you, for right? We can still have that moment of... of silliness for a second super silly and i and i hadn't even gotten into the book yet it was just like i just picked it up so so once i dove in i'm like oh i get it now it's a good book it's not just chiclet rom-com this you know so 
Totally right. checked myself there. <laughs> right. Exactly. And 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 one of the things that, you know, like sort of irks me when I when I think about that, like we're in this episode, I guess we've sort of called him the, the, the one asshole in the back, right? When <laughs> when I think about that person, I also think, you know, like how often are you reading and how varied is what you're reading? I'm not trying to sound like an asshole, but if you're not trying different things if you're not reading different types of books then you're not giving yourself the opportunity i think to fully immerse yourself in how wonderful reading can be yeah. you know it's why i flip from fiction to non-fiction to romance to literary fiction to thrillers to memoirs because every single one has a different mood and it has something different to offer you but every single one and i mean every single one regardless of what it is is an exercise in compassion and empathy. That's what reading yeah. is. When you boil reading down to what you're actually doing, it's an exercise in empathy and understanding. I've always believed that because you put yourself in the shoes of the character. And even if you hate the character, you start sometimes to ask yourself why you hate the damn character. <laughs> and then, and then this is the worst part. You realize that in real life, you are that character. <laughs> <laughs> you become the villain in the book. Yeah, exactly. You're like, oh God. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Um, you know, so it's, it's, these are all really self-reflective acts. But, so that's the act of reading. But this book really emphasizes the act of writing, right? So at one point, January is talking about what it's like for her to get through this book that, as, as I mentioned, is quite cathartic for her. And she says, the nights spent writing until the sun came up and my back hurt from needing to pee, but not wanting to stop, uh, not wanting to stop working because nothing felt more important than the book, than giving these fictional lovers the ending they deserved, giving my readers the ending they deserved. So the writing is also, it's a giving, Yeah, you know, it's, and it's not just the work. I mean, like I've written countless essays uh, you know i've never written a book yeah. i can't imagine um you know how much that takes out of you just as someone who writes like essays on a pretty pretty regular basis i know that that takes a lot out of you so i can't imagine, imagine this. a full-fledged novel like so flushed out and 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 with character development and dealing with issues like grief in this book i mean you're talking about grief you're talking about loss of a loved one mm -hmm. loss of a parent you're talking about cancer um you're talking about heartbreak you're yeah. talking about um, toxic relationships. Yeah. You're talking about manipulation. Manipulation. You're talking about um, family dynamics that are yep. challenging. And that is probably the hardest of all, right? Because the family dynamic is the thing that I think, and I'm just making a sort of judgment call here, but that's the part that people from a young age tend to romanticize. That your family is perfect. Yeah. That if, if it's not something's wrong with you, wrong with your parents, wrong with everyone. Right. And that becomes a part of who you are, whether you want it to be or not. So, you know, this book, I think, really sort of touches on issues that I think everybody can relate to. Because one of the things that I thought was most heartbreaking is that, you know, so her, her father passes away, right? And he, he leaves her this house that he owned with this woman. Uh, the woman that he was cheating on his wife with, her mother with, right? His, his second life on his the lake. His second life. I mean, imagine imagine that for like a hot second. Imagine that realization. I mean, I think 
honestly, she handled it really well. I Compar- think so too. Comparing, yeah, like would've I would burned it to the ground. I would have burned something down. I don't know what I would have burned down. But I would I would have burned something down, right? So it's like this huge realization of the fact that your life isn't perfect, and then going to that house to go through it to sell the things, and worst of all, <laughs> to write a novel because her agent was, you know calling her and texting her all the time being like hey are you gonna get me a manuscript so i can send it over to the publisher like what's the deal yeah she's kind of in a slump when she gets into this house dealing with all these issues in her life dealing with the death of her father you know her her reality shattered by all this trying to sell things off and then on top of that having a hard deadline that summer to write a novel go figure no pressure (laughs) no pressure no pressure at all And the heartbreaking part for me was the fact that she states, and often in the book, she says, I'm never going to have a chance to ask my dad, you know, what was going on. I'm never going to get to berate him about this. I'm never going to get to argue with him about this. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to get to, you know, just tell him what I think of this. You know, she finds out about her dad's second life only after he's passed. So she's really, really trying to understand what the hell happened yeah it's kind of yeah she she will never be able to discuss it so it's kind of her trying to decipher what happened throughout the novel living in that house and and just thinking back and reflecting on different moments in her life when those things could have been happening and she lets us in on that in a really i think in a really insightful and really well-written way and she does a lot of self-reflecting in the book, January, the main character. And, and, and one of the moments that really sort of got me, um, because we forget this, and this is a sort of friendly reminder to all of you, but mainly me. Um, <laughs> she says, how could I trust my feelings? People are complicated. They're not math problems. They're, they're a collection of feelings and decisions and dumb luck. The world is complicated too. Not a beautifully hazy French film but a disastrous, horrible mess speckled with brilliance and love and meaning. Well, that, that's deep there. I mean, especially given everything that's going on. I mean, it's just, it's it's so perfect, right? Because we sometimes we try to analyze things in this way where it's like, well, this person did this and this, so therefore they must be this or they must feel this. But people are not math problems. No. People are complicated. And, and... You'll never fully get to know anyone else but you, right? Like, that's actually what I got from this book. Yeah. And that's not a clear theme. But for me, it was just so clear that what what you're trying to learn, what Emily Henry's trying to tell you is that it doesn't matter how close you are to someone, it doesn't matter that someone's family, the only person you ever have the power to get to know through and through is yourself. And even then, you'll probably still fall a little short. You'll still second guess everything that you do. Yeah. But it's true. There's so many secrets and so many faces that we put on every day and go through life and things that we say, things that we don't say that you you never really will get the full story of someone. You'll just know a little part of them. People are so vast and they're never going to show you their full self. Right. And, and, and they don't owe you that. No. At all. They, they deserve some privacy, too. If he wanted to have his love shack and everything... I mean, it, it destroyed the family, and but... So fucked up, right? Super fucked up, but... Um, we do find out that there are, like, moments of, like, less fucked upness. Right? Yes. Like, we do get some clarity, Yes, right? we he do. He wasn't a total dick. No. Throughout the book, lots of explanations are made, so 
I mean, it's still fucked up, but you feel less bad. And that quote that I just read out about how people are complicated, they're not math problems, is her reacting to understanding the yeah. fact that it wasn't exactly what she thought, right? Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, one plus one equals two. It was, there's a lot of stuff going on here and yeah. I'll never fully understand it. But part of accepting it is accepting the fact that I won't understand all of it, right? Um, and, and what I think was um, really also uh, obvious to me in the book, and you and I had discussed this offline, is that, you know, because this book is, I think, inherently about the writing process, um, she also mentions, she uses Gus, the love interest, mm -hmm. slash neighbor, slash Henry Cavill of the novel. <laughs> the hottie. The hottie. She the uses hottie. him as her foil in, I think, such a smart way. Yeah. Such a fun way, because you, you, you don't want to hate him. At no point was I angry with him. No, I wasn't either. And I, I just found him um, just intriguing. And the moments they had together, the banter, it was so quick. Boom, boom, boom. It was sexy. It was it was real. Because, I mean, you know, you flirt and you get banter. And it just felt very honest, like a like an honest relationship. And, and just him. And it was it was good. It was, it was two smart people. It was. And so that's what's, that, like, as a reader, you're like, yes, this is what I want. I want two, two smart, smart people. Two smart, hot people. Right. Exactly. You're like, this is exactly what I want as a reader. Of course. You know? And she uses him as this, like, really interesting foil. Because he's the literary fiction guy. He's the mysterious guy. He's the guy who writes books that, you know, don't have a happily ever after. They're cyclical, but they're not necessarily a happy ending. Um, you know, and, and he talks a lot about that. And we learn a lot about Gus, but we learn about him through the eyes of January. So we learn about how he had a tough childhood, how, how his perception of the world becomes clear through his writing. And I love that Emily Henry did that because it shows that whether you like it or not as an author, I do think you leave a piece of yourself in every book. I think that every book is self-reflective. For sure. I mean, I, I forget which movie, book, whatever, uh, people always say, write what you know. And of course, inevitably, you're going to leave some of yourself in every book. Whether, right. whether you highly research a topic and have nothing to do with it, part of you is still going to exist in it. A hundred percent. And And he... He tells her at one point when he's trying to emphasize to her that it's not that he judges her for being a romance writer. It's that he himself felt that he couldn't do it because mm -hmm. he's not the guy who believes in happily ever afters. And so how could he possibly write them? Yeah. Right. So it's exactly what you said, you know, write what you know. And he says to her, when you, when you love someone, you want to make this world look different for them to give all the ugly stuff, meaning and amplify the good. Uh, and he says to her, that's what you do for your readers, for me. You make beautiful things because you love the world and maybe the world doesn't always look how it does in your books. But I think putting them out there, that changes the world a little bit. And the world can't afford to lose that. Hmm. First of all, that's adorable. That's so sweet. Second of all, it's true as hell. Yeah. Because we can't be who we are if we only ever emphasize the bleak. We can't. No. And that's where romance novels take their place. That's what romance novels are. Because romance novels are also not, like, happy-go-lucky. Like, I felt really bad I felt at moments during this book. Her. Yeah. And him, hearing, like, his backstory and, and his childhood. I was just like, oh my god, these poor people. <laughs> Hopefully something good happens. And it's not right, just down the line. You're but... cheering them on. Because yeah. you're like, 
that's and that's the other stereotype right is that romance novels are this like very cookie cutter you can predict the ending and that's not true at all right no. so this novel i thought was really perfect for this conversation because it is so much about grief and it's so much about heartbreak and she does so much self-reflecting in the book where she's like yeah i'm the person who falls fast i'm the person who believes in happily ever afters because i need them and mm -hmm. so that's what i write and gus is like i don't believe in happily ever afters because i've had a hard time and i rather write things that people will feel are real and so the irony is that we need both right and yeah. yet one of them is so is treated so poorly yeah one is valued way more when they're both equal and and a reflection of the world itself right and that idea of like you know literary fiction being serious and um mainly male dominated and then the romance world is mainly uh you know written books written by women um and that somehow alienates 50 percent of the population you know what i what i would love to see more of is more men reading these books because i think yeah. that you know first of all yes i do think you'll see yourself in them um especially if you're someone who isn't afraid to to express your feelings and that's you know it goes goes back to episode one right like this idea toxic that masculinity. toxic masculinity is real stop pretending like it's not um a and b the more that we treat men like they can't express who they are or read what they want, the more that we create a world that just sucks. <laughs> like Such just a like shitty that. world. Yeah. No, point blank. And I love how throughout the novel, um, she really breaks him down emotion-wise and really brings out his feelings and his thoughts and, and what's going on with him um, over time since he... He is very reserved and very mysterious. Very, very mysterious. Throughout most of the novel. In like a sexy way. Because normally mysterious I find annoying. Yeah. It's like I can't get a straight answer out of I'm you. Like, What's like, going on? Yeah. Like at this point, like, look, I'm 30. I don't, like, I don't need mystery. No. <laughs> like, are you a responsible adult? Do you pay your bills? You know what I mean? Like, that's it. Yeah. That's just, that's, like, that's it. So this guy was like very mysterious in a cool way. Yeah, very cool. Like the bad boy almost. Yeah, but he was like so sweet. He too. was. It was annoying. I was like, this man doesn't exist. No. <laughs> he doesn't exist. Let's ask Emily where she where she thought him up. <laughs> yeah, for real. We're gonna yeah, we're gonna have to reach out to the author because if this is based on a person that she knows, I would like to meet this person. Yes. I think I think we should set you up with him stat. <laughs> it's it's plot twist, it's Henry Cavill. <laughs> So, um, obviously I'm a romantic. <laughs> Here we are. But, you know, it's, that's, that's the thing is that I think it's okay to hope. I think it's okay to see the good. I think it's okay, more than okay, to, you know, emphasize vulnerability and happiness and yeah. hope in, in literature because sitting down and, 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 and reading, I think is an act of self-love it's yeah. how i know i show myself kindness because it's it's my moment of sitting still it's my moment of disconnecting from the world it's my moment of putting my phone on do not disturb and just giving myself a treat and 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 if i'm really overwhelmed at work like my my break is me reading it's my way of being like no marissa there's a whole world out there and the things that you're worried about right now actually don't matter there's no such thing as an emergency when you work at a museum. No, at you all. You know what I mean? And I have to remind myself of that. And reading helps me do that. I just sit down and I'm like, 
I'm reading about someone who's talking about the fact that their mother had cancer and their father was cheating on her <laughs> while she was sick. No. Right. So I'm just like, okay, Maritza, you can you can chill out yeah, about whatever it, bullshit is going on at work. It really puts things into perspective, honestly, 100%. because everything that we're facing in our day to day is pales in comparison to some of the stories you read and some of the the other things you think about like like all the themes in this book and all the the drama happening yeah exactly and 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 lastly the the, the last thing i want to talk about when it comes to this book in particular and, and and why i'm really trying to argue for you guys to not only pick up beach read but to pick up just romance novels in general and like please i mean it like reach out to me i have such a long list of great really great do. books like great romance novels that are so hopeful and kind and happy and but also hard and and full of vulnerability and feeling and they will change who you are i think because every reader carries with them everything they've ever read so again you know please what i'm trying to do is convince you but i think that there was a really really great sort of um, moment in the book and it's closer to the end and so that's why i wanted to conclude with this topic um she she basically talks about how the only promise that you ever had in life was the one moment that you were living. Um, the happy for now. Yeah. That is a main takeaway in the book, right? This idea of like, and we already sort of touched on this a little bit, but we don't have this moment that becomes the happily ever after. Everything is a collection of happy for nows. And even yeah. just sitting here with you right now, like the fact that we have the privilege to do this, right? The fact this that we makes have the me privilege. Happy for yeah, now. this makes me so happy for now. <laughs> so happy for now. And and it and it carries with me because this conversation always continues. Not just between me and you, episode three. Um, we have a great book coming up for episode three, by the way. Um, <laughs> but not just this conversation, but the conversation we have with everyone around us who listens to the podcast and and then tells us what they thought. And then they tell us what they thought of the book. And so this is a sort of gift that keeps on giving. This collection of happy for nows, I think, is a really beautiful way to look at the world and think about your own life and living living in every moment. Yeah. No, it's beautiful. And I think we grow up and we put so much pressure on ourselves to plan and set these goals and how my life should be. I, I was watching something today. Um, on Netflix and the board game life came up and I was just like wait a minute this is a game I played as a child that was basically are you gonna go to college are you gonna get that job are you gonna get married are right. you gonna get a station wagon with six kids are you gonna get the house oh, that part sounds terrible. I was just like what and it's it's these expectations that we set for ourselves throughout the years and I think that's so contrary to happy for now and that's just building yourself up for nothing i feel as as the almost these goals that you're setting are so long term and so just a moment in time that you look around and not be happy with anything in your right. life right and and success like who is to say that those things are you succeeding yeah. if you're not defining success for yourself exactly right like i mean i use myself as an example you know i'm 30 i'm unmarried and I have just what I think to be such a privilege in terms of my job. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I am so ready to drive, you know, home and see my family and see my brother. And so I'm so filled with all this love in my life, but I don't have 
a stereotypical sort of, uh, you know, I don't know, framework, so to speak, right? Like, so you just, you have to define success for yourself. Yeah. I, I gain my happiness from the people that I've let into my life, let onto my island. And that is going to look different for everybody at different stages of their life. And so this idea of happy for now is so crucial because, you know, success is not all the things that we've been told they are. Yeah. Success is what we define it as. I don't want to be Jeff Bezos. That is not success to me. That, that is, is a douchebaggery to I, me. Oh, girl, you already know. We know we have a chat about it. I, I'll say very briefly, please don't buy your books on Amazon. It's important to buy your books from people who want to sell books, not someone who wants to colonize the moon. That's all I'm going to say about that. But I think success, yeah, PSA, I just want to be very clear about that. And I think that success is what you define it as. And we talked about that last episode. For me, success is looking back on my life, on my career, and knowing that I uplifted the voices of other women. That is always and always has been my goal. And that's going to look different for everybody, even if, because I know that's a big part of who you are, but it's going to look different for you, Mm -hmm. but it's still who we are and it's still what we consider success. Exactly. And I think that's a great way of looking at things because it relieves the pressure of day to day. It relieves that, that sense of climbing a ladder, like, well, I got this. So now I have to get this next step. If, if not, I'm not fulfilled and this. And I mean, we have very different situations. I mean, I met Sean when I was 19. Um, I was a sophomore in college. We hit it off. He lived luckiest man on earth. (laughs) He should know that. He's, He's full disclosure. He's cooking both of us dinner right now. We told him, cook and be quiet. So I'm also the luckiest woman. You are my proxy. (laughs) Um, I met him sophomore year. He lived in LA. I was still going to the University of Miami and we just did a long distance for a while. He finally moved back. Um, We got a house together, got a dog, you know, bought a house, got married, this. And it was never that rushing feeling of like, we need to do this because of this and this timeline and this. I'm turning 33 this year. We've been married for almost six years now and I am in no way, shape or form like, oh my God, I missed the deadline of having the kid now and this. I am so happy as we are with our beautiful Doberman puppy. Well, she's she's not a puppy. She's very big, but she's a puppy forever, forever for life. And it's just, it shows we we have such different things going on, but we still share these happy for now moments and nothing is less, nothing is more. They're both equally cherished and beautiful ways of living. Right. And I, and that's, that's one of the things that I also love about just our friendship because mm-hmm. we're, we have such different backgrounds, not only, you know, in, in, in life or, or even academically yeah. or whatever, like in every sort of element you and I have very different backgrounds. Let's not even talk about theater. They don't don't need to. (laughs) I don't want to talk about the fact that you were in theater. It's the only thing I don't like about you. (laughs) (laughs) Even with your best friends, there's things that, uh, listen, the only thing that matters, I think is that you have the same values. That's it. And our values, the value that you and I share that I think is what keeps this friendship so strong and is so special to me is that, you're you've never ever not one time implied that I should do anything the way that you do it no like never 
Never. You've always just been like, well, you, you're an annoying mirror. You're like, well, what do you want? What do you want to do? And I'm like, don't, don't put it on me. It's too, I know the answer, but you're I'm making like, me, you're making me answer it and I don't want to answer it. Like, well, you're obviously acting like this because you feel this way. Right. And I'm like, so. well, um, and I just look down. But that's the thing is that I think a good friend is a mirror. Yeah. It's not someone who tells you to do life the way that they do life. Yeah. A friend is not a parrot. No. It is not a recorder. It is a mirror. No. And a friend loves you by telling you that you not only can do things the way that you want to do them, but that it's also okay if you royally fuck it up. Yeah. Because Definitely. that's part of it. Right? And and we both do and we will continue to royally fuck things up. I can that's the only promise I'll ever make <laughs> to this audience. Is that I will continue to royally fuck things up on a regular basis. But that's really what this is about. And so I think, you know, this book, I think, also brought us together. We mm -hmm. read a lot of the same books, obviously, during this really difficult time. We're still reading a lot of the same books. We've bonded over these, having great conversations about them, bringing all of you into it. So I just want to cheers. And I think now is a good time for us to move into a very important segment, which is you telling us and educating us about wine, as you have done for me for so long. <laughs> Yay! Bam. Woo! Going into that. So when I was reading Beach Read, obviously the title of the book is Beach Read, so you think automatically of what would I take to the beach? What would I be sipping on? Um, for me, that looks a lot like rosé, either crisp, uh, refreshing whites or rosé. So um, I started thinking about the book, where the setting was placed. I, I tried finding Michigan wine since this is a fictitious town in Michigan, but alas, no one in Instagram helped me find that and the articles were leading me nowhere. So I switched thoughts and I'm like, what would I take to the beach and what could you possibly find in this small town right. <laughs> in the middle of nowhere? Which, which led me to my chicken wine um, because it is very accessible. You could find it at supermarkets, even Walgreens. I've seen magnums of it at Walgreens for less than $15, which is unheard of for Rosé from France. Um, and a lot of you were asking me what we were going to drink. And yeah, I could pull some random thing out. But I just really wanted it to be um, available to you all so you can sip and feel like you're you're at the table with us right now. Yeah, so you can sip with us. And and what I love too is there's a really funny moment in the book where she shows up to a book club and she doesn't know what to bring. And so she brings this bottle of, I think it's Chardonnay. Yeah. And no one ends up drinking it because apparently the drink of choice at the book club is white Russians. That is... That is something. I don't, I don't want to get into that. That sounds awful to me. But it's so gross. Anyway, so she's just sitting there with her wine and she gets all nervous because there's an incident. Gus shows up and whatever. So she starts drinking the wine out of her purse and she calls it purse wine. Purse wine. And I thought because of its inexpensive uh, price point and availability that this too could serve as purse wine. So. I mean, yeah. And and that's the thing too is that I, what I love about this wine is that, first of all, I think it's accessible not only price-wise, but I think in terms of just, um, you know, someone who doesn't know a lot about wine can can describe it, can feel comfortable drinking it. It's very, um, it's very light, it's very refreshing, it's very thirst-quenching. These are things that you don't have to have the, the no. wine vocabulary to be able to describe it as such. No, right? at all. It's, it's delicious. It's, um, so it comes from... Uh, Southern Rhone Valley in France, uh, which is a great region for winemaking. And um, this rosé in particular is a blend of three grapes. 
Cinso, uh, Grenache, and Syrah. Um, so they blend it together, uh, make the rosé. You get a lot of, I'm grabbing it now so I can do the, the proper, the smell, the look at the color, the... She really is doing it. I'm watching her. <laughs> so when we taste wine, let's go all out. Why not? Why not? When we taste wine, we want to have a, a white surface somewhere so we could see the color. Um, this one is kind of a, a salmon color, light salmon, I would say. And then after you identify the color, you want to smell it. So you just tilt it at kind of a 45 degree angle and take a great big whiff of it. We're all... And you could hear us inhaling. Hear, we have, we have such a good mic. <laughs> and thank you, Denise. Thank you, Denise. <laughs> um, so you could swirl it to kind of get those aromatics out and then take a big whiff. A lot so of... So as someone who doesn't know wine, I'm going to... I'm going to say it smells kind of floral mm -hmm. to me. Is that correct? Yes. Or am I, am I lying? No, there's floral. There's um, red berries, I would say, like strawberries and stuff. Sometimes a bit of citrus. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then after you identify all of the flavors, then you take a big sip and uh, you swirl it around your mouth, trying to absorb it all and, and take it in. So let's let's take a drink now if you're drinking with us from home. So what hit me immediately is the fact that it it is so refreshing, right? Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it just, this is what you would want to take to the beach. Oh, this for sure. is what you would want to drink, like, out in the sun, um, reading beach read. It's so, ch it's so chuggable <laughs> with beach read. It's so chuggable. <laughs> Let's not be that honest about our drinking habits, oh, Alexa. <laughs> this bottle would go down so easy by the beach. I mean, you and I have killed a couple bottles at the beach. Oh my god. We've gone to bill bags where you're not allowed to have alcohol and hidden it. <laughs> hidden <laughs> it and put it in, in nice water little, bottles. Yeah. We're like, oh no, it's just water. It's yellow water. It's yellow water, guys. It's Don't relaxed. worry. We got this. <laughs> but um, yeah, so you get a lot of um, raspberries, strawberries, citrus. It's like very dry and refreshing, has a nice acidity to it. It's a very balanced wine. And it's, I think I got this one at Publix for like $9.99. That's insane. It's crazy. And it's actually made, if so if you like uh, Miraval Rosé, the the one in Provence made by, um, I think that's Brangelina's brand of rosé. If you like that, which is costs way more than this, then you'll like this because it's the same winemaker. Fun fact. Huh. So, a very well-made wine and yeah i thought it related well to beach read and that everyone could get it even in that small town in michigan yeah yeah i mean they can get it here they can drink with us sip with us definitely read beach read and then tell us all of their thoughts i think this is an excellent wine and and we're you know we're super excited obviously to share it with you all because it is so accessible you know for exactly that reason so so we just want to thank each and every one of you for uh, listening to, to episode two, we want to keep this conversation going. I always sort of emphasize that, um, you know, we, we urge you to let us know what you think. We urge you to tell us what you thought about beach read, about this wine. Um, this is for us, our way of communicating with all of you, not just each other. This, that's, that's really what this is all about. So, um, we just want to Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Yes, thank you for listening. Um, if you liked us, please subscribe, follow, review the podcast, rate it, stream it, download it anywhere you get your podcast. Um, you could follow us on Instagram at Pouring Over Pages Podcast um, and go and sign up for our newsletter. I am obsessed with 
marketing thing. So I already have many templates to send you great emails. So please subscribe and you'll get the latest and greatest on all things upcoming. Yep. And we'll go ahead and update you on when our um, new episodes have dropped, mm -hmm. um, which is what we really want is for you guys to, you know, continue to be part of the conversation. Know when our episodes are dropping, give us feedback, all of that. So again, we can't thank you enough. Uh, we cheers with all of you and let's keep this conversation going. We're very excited for episode three. There's Woo! a lot. There's a great book coming it's up. so good. I wonder if we should hold it for the newsletter. If you guys I think subscribe. We'll hold it for the newsletter. <laughs> we're holding we you will. hostage. We will. Because episode one, we let you all know that we were going to be talking about Beach Read. This time, we, we're going to, yeah. We're yeah, going to get people who up. are on the newsletter to be the first to know. And what I can tell you is that the book is phenomenal. It is funny. Uh, it is also about grief. Um, it is a book that has been um, very well received on Bookstagram, so it's very popular. It could very well be that it's already on your <gasps> shelf. Um, it's only available in hardcover, so it is oh. a relatively new release. Watch um, out. Let's yeah. deduce what it is. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's, very, it's, it's a good book, and I think we're going to have a great conversation. So cheers. Thank you all again, and we will see you for episode three. Thank you. Thank you.